0: Once again, if you're a visitor here, we just say a a big welcome to Canterbury Gardens Community Church. It's our privilege to to have you here this morning. We're going to continue our worship by looking at God's Word. And uh, we as a church have been going through uh, the book of Acts, and we're returning uh, to that book today. We've had a a bit of a break through Easter and and prior to Easter and and had a panel discussion on the works of the Holy Spirit. But today we're going to be looking at uh, Acts chapter 2 from verse uh, 37 to to 47. Now, as you're aware, uh, Acts is a a story. It's a story about the birth of the church. And I just, just, for a moment, want you to place yourself. Place yourself in the shoes of the disciples. And think about what is going on. You've spent three years at the side of Jesus. You've seen multiple miracles. This Messiah who you thought may come to politically reign said no. The scripture has revealed that I have come and I must die. And I'll be raised again and ascended to heaven. You know, Jesus promised them while on earth that they would be empowered by the Holy Spirit to proclaim him as Messiah and Lord. One particular disciple, Peter, really wrestled with this. He was a leader amongst the disciples and Peter was impetuous. Remember, he was the one that said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He was the one that said, Lord, I will never leave you. Ah, but when the crow would crow three times, Peter denied and fled. He was the one Jesus lovingly took aside after his ascension and restored him. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Tend my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Not only Peter, but the the apostles, the twelve, were waiting after Jesus' ascension you know what was promised to them? Several things had been promised. Firstly, the major thing was the Spirit would come and bring everything to mind of what has gone on for the last three years. Can you imagine that? Instant recollection. Incredible. And we know it's not just what we see in the Gospels that was brought to mind because John himself testifies the fact that the book cannot contain the The immeasurable lessons we learned. So, the book of Acts opens and the disciples are waiting. The spirit comes, the first promise. And disciples start communicating the love of Christ in multiple languages. We can read that in Acts chapter 1. And then Peter boldly experiences an incredible power that the Spirit enables him amongst his countrymen to proclaim who Jesus is. We read that in chapter 2 where he says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. The one who once denied is now proclaiming with great boldness and great power. So what do you think the apostles were thinking at this time? Let's just speculate for a little bit. All of a sudden, this great new power had enabled them to remember all things. To remember the promises that Jesus had given them. To remember the commission that he had given them. So I believe that the book of Acts tells us and shows us that these are the two great things that started this impetus for the apostles. Firstly, Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus proclaimed this to them straight after the fact that Peter said, you are the Christ the Lord. Jesus said yeah Peter upon that confession, upon that statement I will build my church and the gates of hell will just not prevail against it and the second major promise around a new community is the fact that the Holy Spirit will come upon you, it will clothe you, it will give you power from on high to proclaim me And then the great commands from Jesus to his disciples, prior to the empowering of the Holy Spirit with this thing. Go, make disciples, baptize and teach. And in many ways, these two commands and the framework for these things had just been rolled out through the book of Acts. Jesus said in Acts 1, you are to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. You are to testify and proclaim that Jesus is the Lord, the only way of salvation. Making disciples is for the church's responsibility evangelizing the world. It doesn't say make disciples of just Jerusalemites. It does not say of just Samaritans. It does not say of just Australians. It does not say of just New Zealanders. It says of all the world. The commission to the disciples is the commission to us. We are to be Christ's witnesses. We exist to make him known. To make him known the power of the salvation that belongs to God. There's one part of the commission. The second part of the commission is to baptise and teach. Baptism is a sign of the inward reality of what happens when you come to faith in Christ. The old is gone and the new arise because you have the spirit dwelling within you and to teach. These are principles of edification. So the questions we have from the Great Commission are why does the church exist in the world? To evangelise. Why does the church exist as a gathered community as we meet today? Why do we exist why do we gather? For edification. And these are the things we're going to look at as we go through the story in Acts chapter 2 this morning. Especially around the gathered church, because we come across, for the first time in biblical history, a new community, which is known as the church. This is the first foundation stone of God's bodybuilding program, which he had promised to Peter. I will build my church, and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. See, the church is designed to become a mature organization through the process of edification. That's why these instructions were given by Jesus. So that we become a dynamic witness to the world and so that we will honor and glorify God. That is the purpose of the gathered community. And as I've wrestled with this text today, I it has been something that has deeply impacted my heart. Because I think at times we lose sight of the primary purpose of a gathered community. I'll explain that as we go through this text. You see, a mature organization or a mature church is something its primary goal is completeness in Christ you move to Colossians chapter 1. If you don't have Bibles, by the way, please grab Bibles over here. Um, get up, do it now. It's okay. <laughs> we're going to be looking at a few texts today. I'm using the ESV for those who have an electronic Bible. Colossians 1.28 says it very clearly. The goal for our, the new community is we are to proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone what? Mature in Christ. The new community is a body building program. We're at all different stages in our maturity in Christ. The gathered church is designed to equip and mature. To complete us in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. For the next verse tells us that. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy. Not with your energy, it's in the power of the Spirit. And that's the story of the book of Acts. It's done in the power of the Spirit. Who works powerfully within us. So let's read today's text. Let's go back to Acts. Acts chapter 2. Now I've decided to start to bridge the text because Paul preached on this section last time. Uh, but I'm going to start at uh, Acts 2.37. Let's read together. three 47. Now when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart. What had they heard? They had heard that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. The one who is raised from the dead by God's foreordained plan to bring salvation to all. That was the message of Peter's first sermon. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? So those who received his word were baptised, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all. As they had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You see as we uh, read this wonderful account Peter's first sermon I would think outside the Lord's sermon on the mount the greatest sermon to ever be penned and the natural response is what must we do we have heard the news what must we do we are cut to the heart. We understand this Jesus, who you are, are proclaiming and talking about, Peter, is the Messiah. And that's the same response, the same questions that you and I need to ask of ourselves. When you hear the claims of Jesus Christ, the one who died for your sin, the one who is raised again and offers forgiveness of sin as a gift of his grace, what will you do? You see, Christianity isn't a bunch of works-based things. It's not a tick list, if you like. It's not a list of if I do this, 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 and this, this equals eternal life. The claims of Jesus are I have paid for your sin. That separates you from a holy God. He is the only one that has paid for sin. He is the only one who has died and has risen again. And he offers as a gift of grace, salvation. Ask God to grant you the faith to believe. Call out to his name. And say, what must I do? And the answer here is repent and be baptized. Oh, I'm glad you're watching. <laughs> it's coming. <laughs> You see, we don't often talk about repentance, do we? And repentance is a tough thing. Because when you repent, you're saying no to something. Or you're saying inherently that I no longer agree with that position. In terms of the gospel, repentance is talking about the fact that I acknowledge I'm a sinner before a holy God and nothing I can do can merit my salvation, can bring me to God. This verb, repent, is used on five occasions. As a noun, it's used on many occasions through the New Testament. It's used on five occasions in Acts. Here in verse 38, in uh, 319... And it's primarily the call of Peter to the nation. Now, because of what you've done to Christ, repent of your sin. You have crucified him. Now repent of that and turn to him in faith. Elsewhere in Acts, uh, it's used of Peter when he has a look at Simon, uh, the magician, who seems to come to faith, but then says to Peter, hey, give me some of your Holy Spirit. I want to use it for profit. And uh, so in Acts chapter two. 8 verse 22, um, Peter says, you've got to repent of that. The gospel is not a ticket to wealth. And then Paul uses it on a couple of occasions in uh, Acts 17 and 30 and Acts twenty-six twenty. Uh, and he is before the Agropolis and he's, he's proclaiming Jesus before the learned men of the town. And he says, all men everywhere must repent. And then he also uses of his own personal testimony and conversion in Acts 26. And he says, because of this wonderful act of testimony that he has saved me, he turns and says, repent there also. So it's a verb and it's uh, it's something that I think sometimes we lose in the fact of when we call people to faith in Christ. We must repent from the fact of our own self-sufficiency. Repent of the fact that we think we can get to God in our own efforts. Every other religion in the world is about effort. It's about grabbing your shopping list of moral do's and don'ts and saying, yeah, this list is okay, and if I do this thing consistently, I will be okay for salvation. It's a typical Aussie response. You talk to Aussies in the street. Hey, have you ever thought about your future? Have you ever thought about salvation? Have you ever thought about eternity? What's the answer? Oh, it's okay. She'll be right, mate. God's a good God. If I've done okay here on earth, I'm sure we'll be okay on the day of judgment. It's not what the Bible teaches the Bible teaches that we are separated from God because of our sin. And the Bible teaches that for us to come into a relationship with God, we've got to repent of our sin and ask the Lord Jesus Christ by faith for salvation. And it's his free gift. None of your own works. The Bible tells me that your own works are like filthy rags. Isn't that marvelous news? Isn't that marvelous news, folks? We don't have to work for our salvation. It's a gift of God's grace. Mercy, mercy, mercy. Hallelujah. What a Savior. So we have this situation where he calls them to repent, and they do. and they repent and we have the first mega church in the history of the church life now this is a mega church folks from 120 to 3,120 in a day alright this is what happened we read in Acts 1 there was 120 disciples that included the apostles together meeting and praying, devoting themselves to prayer, waiting for the spirit when the Spirit arrives and Peter preaches, we have now a church of three thousand one hundred and twenty. They reckon at the time in Jerusalem is about one hundred eighty thousand people. Still, quite a significant number to come to faith in Christ in a day. And they were baptized. They received the word. They were baptized. And 3,000 souls were added. So what do you do with 3,120 people? We have enough problem with 300. But we're not apostles, so that's okay. So what do you do with that major influx? We will discover. There's a really important word here. And start at verse 42. And it's the word devoted. Now, to try and explain devotion, I last night, late last night, thought, oh, I'll look at the photo stream on my particular computer. And I'll try and figure out what my kids photograph a lot, because whatever they photograph a lot, then. Therefore, there must be certain devotion attached to what they photograph. So, um, outside selfies, which I thought I'd remove, um, (laughs) I thought, okay, there seem to be two common themes that were photographed many times about devotion. Now, the first one up on the left-hand side is a black-and-white animal. And I think that... There's more devotion to that animal in our household than there is to me. But that's beside the point. But to be devoted to an animal, what you do, you care for it, you tend for it, you groom it, you feed it, you potentially give it lessons on obedience. Hopefully it obeys. But you care for that animal. You walk it, you throw tennis balls, you throw frisbees, And in some ways, sometimes you sleep with it. (laughs) That is true devotion, right? Well, secondly, you could be the classic coffee snob, right? You could be devoted to coffee. You could take pictures of coffee art. You could um, smell the aroma in the beans. As you view and go into a coffee shop, you'll look at the make of coffee machines. Because that evidently is very important in how good the coffee will be, is the make of the coffee machine. The most expensive, the better. You get the picture, eh? To be devoted to something, you spend lots of time pursuing that particular devotion. Or you could be a sport junkie and you could be devoted to the greatest team in the history of the world, like the All Blacks. What is that game? (laughs) You know, for instance, so to be devoted to the All Blacks, what you would have to do living in this country is you'd have to buy paid per view television. (laughs) You would have to schedule the games in the middle of the night at 3am and if you were devoted, you would actually get up at 3am and watch it as opposed to recording it. You would have your Milo and you would have your chips and you would... Have a great time watching the greatest team in all the world. But it requires devotion. It requires lack of sleep. It requires an intention to be devoted to that particular cause. The triumph over the universe in sporting terms. Devotion is a key thing in understanding the new community and in understanding the church. A key thing. You read these words slowly. And they devoted themselves. To be devoted, it means to hold fast to. To be devoted, it means to continue in. To be devoted, it means to persevere in. To be devoted, it means to be closely associated and continuously involved with something. But like marriage, really, for those of you who aren't married, marriage is a devotion. And if our marriages, we took hold of some of these things, our marriages would be glorious because we'd become devoted in such a way that would provide great Benefits. You see, this new community that's 3,120, this new community called the church, whom the gates of hell will not prevail against, comes in and is devoted to four primary things. They're devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship to breaking of bread and to prayer. This is a simple formula, folks. This is a powerful formula for the gathered church. This is a formula that transforms civilization as we know it. As the Holy Spirit grabbed the lives of these men and transformed the world for the name of Christ. So let's just look at these four primary devotions. See, the primary purpose of the gathered community, the new community, is what? Edification. We talked about that briefly. And to be edified is to apply the truth of who Jesus is and the things he taught. This is what the Great Commission had commanded. Observe all things that I have taught you. And teach them to others. And the Holy Spirit will empower you to do that. The Holy Spirit will bring all this stuff to your account. You know, in today's terms, the, the Apostles' teaching is this. We have the full canon of Scripture. We have Paul's letters. We have John's letters. We have Luke's writings. We have the unknown author to Hebrews. We have James, we have Peter. We have the Apostles' teaching here. Remember, historically, this new community of 31,20 had had that, the Old Testament. So hence, the gift of prophecy and teaching given to the apostles was significant. Enabled them to teach who Jesus was and what that would mean in everyday life. It's a complete word. And Paul states the purpose in Ephesians chapter 4. Let's just think, think about this. This is the reason for the gathered church. This is one of the reasons for edification, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we obtain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. That's why we gather, folks, to become more like Christ with the power of the Spirit. And teaching is at the core of that. It's not just teaching from here. It's not what you're hearing now in this 45 minutes. It's teaching in your small groups. It's teaching in your families. How central is the word of God in your lives? How central is it? In the early church, it was primary. Let's be devoted to the word of God. Why? Because teaching enables us to grow in maturity. Teaching gives you deep roots in your life that enables you to undergo immense trials. Wasn't that a wonderful testimony from Zach and Terry? We trust that God, he gave us a space to have a child. Through those trials, God is solid. So the word of God is going to allow you to put an anchor into your soul that grounds you deeply in the truths of God. And you won't waver like grass. These are the metaphors that the New Testament uses. Folks, are you devoted to the word of God? So I need a question you can answer. It's only a question you can answer. As a gathered community, we want to facilitate that. We want to exist to make Christ known. We only make Christ known through his word. Mark Dever, theologian and pastor, says this. Church leaders which have been committed to seeing the church reformed according to God's word down through the ages have had a common method. This is the method. Get this. I love this method. Read the word. Preach the word. Pray the word. See the word. I could tell you something really funny here in my notes. I've got sin the word. I don't know what that means. (laughs) See the word. No, see the word. You see the word through the ordinances. You see the word in baptism. You see the reality of the word when someone is baptized and testified the faith they have in Christ. You see the word when you take the bread and wine as a remembrance of the sacrifice of Christ. You read the word, you preach the word, you pray the word. That's devotion to the word, folks. And it's a core, cornerstone to our gathered community. Second one is fellowship. This is sharing things in common. The historical context here is important, right? You've got 3,120 overnight Christians. Many of those had come from foreign places to celebrate the Pentecost feast, right? It's one of the three feasts that you had to come to Jerusalem for if you were a Jew. Pentecost, the, the feast. 50 days after Passover. So they come for Passover and they remain in that city for 50 days until they celebrate Pentecost. They would bring enough stuff for themselves to last 50 days. So it's historically important, this particular process. All of a sudden, some of these come to faith in Christ. So the gathered church says, we need to meet and we need to meet these needs. See, cornonia is only, this is the Greek word for fellowship. It's only mentioned once in Acts, and this is it. It's mentioned uh, 19 times throughout the New Testament, and forty of them relate to Paul and his ministry. And the word is often used, and it sort of describes the mutual relationship that takes place in a marriage. That's what this commonality is about, this cornonia is about. It's surrounded with the idea of a shared activity. It's interesting, in these verses here, you have um, fellowship in verse 42, and then down in verse 44, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. That word common is koina. So there's a word play here. So common and koinonia, koinonia and koina is having this activity this view that things were in common. Why is fellowship here? I think primarily because of this. If we're a church that teaches without fellowship, we'd just be a school. Okay? We'd just be a school. If all we did was teach, 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 teach. And all he did was listen, 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 listen. Went home didn't communicate with anybody, you would just be a school. You'd just be a place that dispenses information. See, teaching should lead us to action. That's the power of God's word. It leads us to action. It should lead us to fellowship with one another, a deep fellowship that is only seen in Christian community. Because we have the one Lord, one Saviour, one Master. It's a fellowship with one another, with a love that only the Holy Spirit can bind us together with. And that's representative as we look out here. Australians, New Zealanders, Indians. All different walks, social backgrounds. All different perspectives in life but the Lord draws us together into his body. And we have a deep fellowship in the spirit. Sometimes it may not feel like that, but that's what it should be. Quineo represents close relationships and involves sharing life with one another, the bad times as well as the good. Want to test how good your fellowship is? It's when we share one another's burdens. Which is the command of Christ. The word of God is learned through teaching. It is lived through fellowship. The word of God is learned through teaching. It is lived through fellowship. The third thing is mentioned here is the breaking of bread. and In the context of this uh, it's more likely this breaking of bread is just sharing a common meal together. This term, breaking of bread, is only used twice in the New Testament, here and in Luke 24, 35, and really it just refers merely to table fellowship. To sit down and have a meal together. But I'm sure that when you consider the context of this new community, every time they sat down and had a meal together and there was bread and wine on the table, what would they do? The apostles would lead them and say, Let's remember our Lord. Remembrance of the Lord is a natural party of a part of the new community. That's why we celebrate communion every week, because we're forgetful. Presbyterians are better, they celebrate it every three months. They're not so forgetful. The Baptists are halfway forgetful, they celebrate it every month. I'm not sure who else does what, but it doesn't matter. We're together as a gathered community. Let's remember the Lord. That's why we're here. And then they prayed, they devoted themselves to prayer. And boy, this has smacked me around the head this week. Big time. This is a mark of a healthy church, folks, is prayer. Why? Because a community that prays and seeks God's direction is dependent upon God. As we get involved in church life and our community life, as we get involved in all sorts of ministry, I want to ask you, what is the priority of prayer? And if prayer is not a priority, shut the ministry down. Because you're doing it in your own strength. You're not dependent upon God and you're not dependent on him building his church. Folks, we need to get a vision of who we worship and who we serve and who is building the church and we need to be on our knees. Seek God's direction. Because if we are... Part of this family, part of God's family of people who do not, we do not work on feelings or intuition, but we work by actively submitting ourselves to the Lord's direction. I want to write that again. We should be actively submitting ourselves to the Lord's direction. So the new community devoted themselves to these four actions. You can't take a church away from these four essentials. These are essentials. This is what the gathered community is about. You can have more than these four, absolutely. But you can't have any less. And the real critical thing is if you have more, and let's face it, most churches do have more, those things that are being added must never contradict or obscure the importance of these four things. You get that? We should shape our church community based on the apostles' teaching, hold highly the word of God. We should devote ourselves to fellowship, communion with one another. Devote ourselves to remembrance. Remembrance. Devote ourselves to prayer. When you contradict those things, count the fact you'll move from being a healthy church to being an unhealthy church. Erosion will set in. Activity will set in. And we'll forget about the grace of God. Several other observations, we're running short of time, so I'll briefly do these. Notice the result of this devotion. All came upon every soul. Not just some souls, all came upon every soul. So this gathered community was impacting the greater community. They saw this gathered community involved in these things and it impacted the greater community. Many wonders and signs have been done by the apostles. The apostles continue to do signs and wonders. Signs and wonders are only mentioned on four or five occasions in Acts, always associated with the apostles, always associated with the outflowing of the gospel. We'll talk about that next week as we go through chapter three. And then they believed, and all who believed these 31,20 were together, had things in common, they shared things, they showed their koinonia. and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. So therefore. Let's really misabuse this text, everyone, today. Go out, sell everything, bring it back to the elders' feet. (laughs) And we will distribute it. That is not what this is saying. That's not what this is saying. Due to the fact that they were in this new community... Uh, These verses here have been misused throughout church history as some sort of call towards a commune-type lifestyle. Remember the context of the church birth here. Remember the context. You've got a massive amount of people in Jerusalem, hear the gospel for the first time, can't return home, have no food, have no money. They want to understand Christianity. So they stay. Those in Jerusalem who are already there and have come to faith in Christ, they stay and they start to sell their possessions and their belongings. Their view of money was a Christ-centered view. They didn't own it in the first place, so we will use this. It doesn't say how much was sold. It doesn't say how often it was sold. When you start looking at the primary language here, it gives us a great signal to what's going on. So I hate to bore you with this, but this is really kind of insightful. In the Greek language, when you uh, there's a verb called an imperfect. An imperfect verb basically says, I'm um, going to find it here, basically says, it describes an action that is a repeated action. That's the imperfect. It describes an action that is a repeated action. So the two verbs here, which are. We're describing down at the bottom here, they're selling and they're distributing. Those two verbs are imperfects. Imperfects. So it's describing that this is something that is an action that is repeated. That's quite a common verb form. But what happens in this particular text is. A interif imperfect. It's a different verb form, very rare. And it's describing the repeated action happens often. That helps immensely when you read this. So what was going on? They were selling things often to sustain the community so they could devote themselves to teaching prayer, breaking of bread, and to fellowship. It happened often. They viewed the disciples teaching on money and the result was glad and generous hearts, verse 46, praising God and having favour with all people. Notice that? Their witness resulted in favour for the entire community. And the result was the Lord continued to add to their number day by day those being saved. That's really interesting that word added is also this verb form. God was continuously adding. So here we have it. The new church community. The edified community. The community of which we are part of now through faith in Christ. My question for you simply is this. As individuals of the collective community... Are we devoting ourselves to God's word? Are we devoting ourselves to fellowship? Are we devoting ourselves to remembering the Lord? Are we devoting ourselves to prayer? They're the marks of a healthy church, folks. We'll see that as it rolls through the book of Acts. They were marks of a healthy church then, they the marks of a healthy church now. Why? Because the Spirit transforms us to be devoted to these things. That's my prayer for you this week. Get on your knees and pray, Lord, help me to be devoted to these simple things. Will you do that? Will you do that? Pray that, Lord, open up your heart and create a new devotion for this gathered community called the church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for the clear, simple instruction that your church is designed to edify. Yes, your church is designed to witness, also evangelize, but this morning, Lord, we've been looking at the edification aspect. result of the edification, Lord, we know is that we will have favor with all people because the message we proclaim is the message of Christ, our risen Savior. Lord, develop in our own hearts a devotion to the Word of God, to fellowship, to remembrance, and to prayer. Transform us, we pray, by the power of your Spirit in Christ's name. Amen. We'll finish there. We're not even going to sing, unless you want me to. (laughs) Uh, That will really, really ruin your devotion if I sing. (laughs) Hey, have a great day. Uh, Just enjoy fellowshipping together. And remember, that is part of community life. Thanks, guys.